In this episode, we will resume the personal reading of Christianity Through the Centuries, A History of the Christian Church by Earl E. Carnes. Today we come to chapter 18 in the section titled The Rise of the Empire and Latin Teutonic Christianity. The Revival of Imperialism in the West. The popes found themselves subject to pressures that threatened the increasingly strong claims to power they made after 590. The emperors in Constantinople, who believed that the church should be subordinate to the ruler of the state, were steadily encroaching on what the bishop of Rome thought were his prerogatives and possessions. The Lombards, who held to the Arian form of Christianity, knocked on the gates of Rome more than once during this period. These difficulties forced the Pope to look around for a powerful ally who would support his claims to spiritual power and to temporal possessions in Italy. The Frankish rulers seemed to be the most promising allies, and with them the Popes made an alliance that was to influence both ecclesiastical and political affairs during the Middle Ages. The new political empire in the West, to which the Pope gave his assent in 800, revived the imperial idea of the Roman Empire, but the rulers of this new empire were to be Teutons, rather than Romans. The glory of reviving the Roman Empire went to the Carolingian rulers. Roman numeral I. The Merovingian dynasty. The importance of the conquest and civilization of Gaul by Caesar in the middle of the first century before Christ now became apparent because it was to the Franks in this territory that the Pope turned for aid. These Franks had come to France from their homelands along the eastern bank of the Rhine River and had conquered Gaul, but at the same time they had accepted the Roman culture of their victims. Clovis, circa 466 to 511, was the first leader to unify the Franks and to complete the conquest of the territories of what would be the major part of modern France. He married a Burgundian princess, Clotilda, 474 to 545, and linked the Burgundian territories, one by this marriage with others, one in battle. The union of all the Frankish tribesmen from the Rhine under his leadership was a great contribution to stability in the area. Clovis accepted Christianity, partly through the influence of his wife, and partly because of what appeared to be the providential aid given to him in battle. His acceptance of Christianity in 496 makes the, that year significant in the history of Western Europe because the Franks, whom he had united, and their rulers were to become the bulwark of the papacy against the temporal foe and to give the, to the papacy the territories that it held as temporal possessions for over a millennium. As is so often the case, Clovis's sons did not have the ability of their father and control of the affairs of the state passed into the hands of an official known as the mayor of the palace who held the reins of government while the weak successors of Clovis enjoyed life in the palace. The mayors of the palace made up what is known as the Carolingian dynasty, which was to reach the zenith, its zenith under power under Charlemagne. Roman numeral two, the Carolingian rulers. Pepin of Heristal was the first of these, major, these mayors of the palace to reunite the divided possessions of Clovis 
and from 687 to 714 he controlled the Franks for the degenerate descendants of Clovis. He made the office of mayor of the palace a hereditary position to be filled by his descendants. Charles Martel, 688 to 741, the hammerer, an illegitimate son of Pepin, took over the duties of mayor of the palace after 714. His abilities as a warrior were badly needed because the Muslims, who had overrun Spain, were now threatening to take over all of Western Europe. Charles defeated them at the Battle of Tours, near Poitiers, in 732, and obligated the Roman Church to him because he had apparently saved Western Europe from Orthodox Christ for Orthodox Christianity. He supported the work of Boniface in evangelizing the tribes beyond the Rhine, knowing that if they were one to Christianity, he would not have difficulty with them on the western bank of the Rhine. Charles's successor as mayor of the palace was his son Pepin, 714-68, known as Pepin the Short, or Pepin the Great, who ruled jointly with his brother from 741 to 747, when the brother withdrew to a monastery. Pepin was the first real Kalingian king because he took the title of king in 751, as well as exercising the authority of mayor of the palace. The occasion for this extension of his authority was a request from Pope Zacharias for aid against the Arian Lombards who were threatening the authority of the papacy in Italy. Pepin was consecrated by Boniface as the king of the Franks. Childric III, the last of the Meruvians, Merovingians, was de deposed and compelled to spend the rest of his life in a monastery. Pepin redeemed his promise to aid the Pope by exp expeditions against the Lombards in 754 and 756. He promised land in central Italy from Rome to Ravenna to Pope Stephen II in 754. This grant, known as the Donation of Pepin, had special significance for the people of Rome because 754 BC was the traditional date for the founding of the city of Rome. This allotment was the foundation for the papal states that the Pope held uninterruptedly in Italy from 756 until the union of the Italian people in 1870. It is little wonder that the reigning Pope, Stephen II, crowned Pepin for the second time as the King of the Franks and Patrician of the Rome, of the Romans, in 754. Stephen received the promised grant in 756. For some centuries, an account had been developing concerning this supposedly miraculous healing and conversion of Constantine by the Bishop of Rome. The grateful Constantine was supposed to have made liberal grants of rights and territories to the bishop. These stories were combined in a document known as the Donation of Constantine and given wide circulation during the Middle Ages. The document was used by popes to buttress their claims to temporal possessions and to power in both the temporal and spiritual realms. The authoritative formulation seems to have been made about the middle of the 8th century, so that it was in circulation at the time of Pepin made his grant of, Italy, of land in Italy to the papacy.
In the document, Constantine greeted Sylvester and the bishops of the church and went on to relate that he had been healed from leprosy and baptized by Sylvester. In return, he declared that the church at Rome was to have precedence over all other churches and that its bishop was the supreme bishop in the church. He gave territories throughout his empire and Lateran Palace, the Lateran Palace and the clothing and insignia of the imperial rank to Sylvester. Constantine then withdrew to Constantinople so that he would not interfere with the imperial rights of the Pope. Although the facts just described were in the document, they were not historically correct. The other, no other record of any such facts exists. Moreover, Lorenzo Valla, in 1440, showed in his book, the first document of real historical criticism, that the donation was a forgery, made some centuries after the events it purported to describe. Few spurious documents have exercised so potent an influence on history as this one did. The next ruler over the Franks was Charlemagne, son of Pepin the Short. Charlemagne, 742 to 814, came to the throne in 768, and in 800 he became emperor in the West, when the Pope crowned him Imperator Romanorum, Emperor of Romans, of the Romans. His influence was felt in every area of human endeavor in Western Europe. Much information about Charlemagne is derived from Einhard, sometimes incorrectly known as Egenhard, writer of a biographic sketch of Charlemagne. Charlemagne was about seven feet tall and had a proportionately large body. His bright face and long white hair, coupled with such height, gave him an air of dignity. He delighted in hunting, riding, and swimming, but also had a real interest in culture and this interest led him to combine the pleasure of the table with listening to music or having someone read to him. He was also devoted to religion. However, his religion did not carry over into the domestic life because he kept concubines as well as his legal spouse in his palace. Charlemagne was also a man of war. He engaged in over fifty campaigns during the course of his reign in an attempt to end anarchy within his kingdom and to expand its borders into Italy, where he completed the defeat of the Lombards, and into Germany, where he conquered the Saxons. He spread Christianity among the Saxons by force of arms. He was able to, to double his father's possessions until he held all of Italy as far south as Rome most of the area of modern Germany, and all of the area of modern France. So much land in Western Europe had not been under one jurisdiction since the time of the Roman Empire. Because this kingdom was held together by the genius of Charlemagne, it did not last long after his death in 814. Charlemagne developed an able bureaucracy and a good system of imperial government to administer his large empire. The empire was divided into different areas, each of which comprised several counties under a duke. The emperor sent men known as Miss Missi Dominici to the courts of these dukes at unexpected times to inspect their accounts, to announce new capitularies or laws, and to check on how well they were keeping order. He was also friendly to the church. He thought that the church might be compared to the soul and the state, to the body of the man.
Church and state had their respective spheres of responsibility. While on a visit to Rome to finish the work of defeating the Lombards in 774, he, recon he reconfirmed the donation of lands that Pepin had made to the Pope in 756. He believed, however, that the ruler of the church should not dispute the decision of the ruler of the state, and that bishops should also be subordinate to the head of the state. When Pope Leo III was set upon by a faction in Rome and nearly killed, he left Rome for the court of Charlemagne. Charlemagne went back to Rome with him, and at a council the Pope was cleared of the charges against him. At a holy mass in the cathedral on Christmas Day in 800, while Charlemagne knelt before the altar, the Pope put the crown on Charlemagne's head and declared that he was the emperor of the Romans. Thus was the Roman Empire revived in the West, and new Rome, led by Teuton, took the, pal took the place of the old Roman Empire. A universal empire existed beside an, a universal church. The classical and Christian heritage were now linked in a Christian empire. The human dream of unity of men seemed again to be realized for Charlemagne, had the largest territory under his control that any man held since the fall of the empire. The classical and Christian heritage were now linked in a Christian empire. The human dream of unity of men seemed again to be realized, for Charlemagne had the largest territory under his control that any man held since the fall of the empire. The universal spiritual empire of the papacy over men's souls now had to, its counterpart in the revived Roman Empire. The empire that Charlemagne had over the physical aspect of people's lives. The kingdom of God was thought to have two arms. The spiritual, presided over by the Pope, was to have responsibility for men's souls. The temporal was to, be, was to have responsibility for the physical well-being of man. The Pope and the Emperor were to give each other mutual support. Of course, such a view was bound to bring conflict between the rulers of the Church and the new Teutonic Roman Empire. Was the Emperor given power from God over men, and did the Pope exercise delegated power from the Emperor over people's souls? Or did God give supreme authority to the Church, and did the Pope delegate authority over people's bodies to the Emperor? Or did they hold coordinate positions in which God gave to each one directly supremacy within his respective sphere? The answer to this problem occupied the energies of popes and emperor during the Middle Ages until the pope finally succeeded in bringing the emperor under their control. After the death of Charlemagne, his empire declined under his weak son and warring grandsons until the grandsons divided it among themselves in the Treaty of Verdun in 843, after a long period of war. The imperial idea was again revived by a German prince named Otto, 962, and from 962 until 1806, the Holy Roman Empire was an honored institution in Europe, in spite of Voltaire's jibe that it was neither holy, Roman, nor an empire. Charlemagne was deeply devoted to cultural progress, and his imperial reign from 
800 to 814, was a period of cultural development that has since become known as the Carolingian Renaissance. Not since the work of Bothius and Cassodorus during the reign of Theodoric, the Ostrogothic ruler of the land of Italy in the 6th century, and there had there been such cultural progress. In order to effect his cultural renaissance, Charlemagne turned to the scholars of the church in England and persuaded the great scholar Alcyon in 735 to 804 to come to his court from York and to assume the leadership of his palace school in Aiken, where the children of the royal family and leading nobles might be educated. Alcyon had the assistance of Paul the deacon, Einhard, and other able scholars in his work. Minuscule or cursive writing was developed in this era by Alcyon and others. The palace school of Charlemagne was an integral link in the chain of men and schools responsible for passing on the medieval university, the basic outlines of its curriculum, the trivium and the quadrivium that had been derived from Roman higher education by Martinius Capella in the 5th century, the cultural activities of Charlemagne were an important step in the process by which the German people assimilated classical and Christian learning. Charlemagne himself delighted to listen to the reading of great books from the past, and according to his biographer Einhard, particularly liked Augustine's works, especially The City of God. He also insisted that the abbots set up monastery schools so the interpreters of Scripture might be learned men who would understand and rightly interpret the Bible. Considerable emphasis was given to the significance of Charlemagne in medieval history. His coronation marked the reconciliation and union of the population of the old Roman Empire with its Teutonic conqueror. It ended the dream of the Eastern Emperor to regain for the eastern segment of the Roman Empire, the areas lost to the bar- barbarians in the west in the 5th century. Because the Pope had crowned Charlemagne, his position has, ha- was enhanced as one to whom rulers owed their crowns, and the emperor was bound to aid him when he was in difficulty. Charlemagne's coronation marked the peak of Frankish power that began with Clovis's decision to become a Christian. Roman numeral three, the church and empire in the east. Charlemagne was also interested in the eastern empire and church and even made attempts to unite the east and west into one empire that would embrace most of the territories of the old Roman empire. One must not forget that the eastern emperors held back the Muslim hordes from sweeping over Europe until the west could recover from the confusion and chaos created by the fall of the empire and the influx of the barbarians. The East was particularly troubled by the iconoclastic controversy from 726 to 843. Leo III, in decrees of 726 and 730, had banned the use of images in the church and ordered their destruction. Charlemagne made a statement opposing worship of images about the time of Irene became the, the empress of the Eastern Empire. He even offered to marry Irene in order to reunite the areas of the old Roman Empire under one crown with the capital in the west, but Irene refused his advances 
and the division of the empire first started when Constantine moved the capital to Constantinople from Rome in 330, continued. The Second Council of Nicaea in 787 permitted veneration rather than worship of Im images. John of Damascus also supported the veneration of icons as a means of worship, a means to worship. The Eastern Church, except for the work of John of, Dama of Damascus, did little in the development of theology from the period of theological controversy in the 4th and 6th to the 6th centuries until the modern era. John, circa 675 to circa 749, formulated theological ideas into what became the Eastern equivalent of Summa of Thomas Aquinas. His Fountain of Wisdom in three books became the authority for theologians in the Eastern Church as the work of Thomas Aquinas became the authority in the Western Church. The third book of the Orthodox faith is a summation of the theology developed by the Church Fathers and Councils from the 4th century up to this, his own day, and it became the standard expression of orthodoxy in the eastern part of the empire. Perhaps the fact that the Church at Constantinople was subordinate to the authority of the emperor accounted for the slow development of Eastern Christianity after the middle of the 8th century. In the East, the Church was virtually a department of the state, whereas in the West, the Pope had been able to gain freedom from temporal control and was even able, at a later date, to control the temporal power. By the end of the era, between 590 and 800, some of the confusion attended, attendant upon the fall of the Roman Empire in the West had been cleared, the Eastern Asiatic section of the empire continued under the rule of the emperor at Constantinople. The Frankish kingdom of Clovis grew into the Christian empire under Charlemagne and united the now Christian Teutons and the inhabitants of the old empire in the west. The southern shore of the Mediterranean, formerly territory held by the Roman Empire, was lost to Islam by Rome and Constantinople. But further Muslim expansion was stopped in the east and west by 732. The old territories of Rome were now divided into three areas, and church history of the Arab era between 800 and 1054 is centered primarily on the struggle between the Pope and the ruler of the Frankish Empire. <laughs>